welcome to the Hotel Analyst podcast. Each week, the editorial team at Hotel Analyst sit around the desk of Insight to bring you our thoughts on three topics that have caught our eye from the news of the last week or so. Uh, so around the desk, we have Andrew Sankster, our editorial director, Catherine Doggerell, the perspectives editor, and myself, Chris Bowne, the web editor at Hotel Analyst. This week, the first topic we are going to have a word about is um, the... Uh, are they just a service officer supplier or are they something a whole lot more interesting and exciting? Uh, anyway, whatever they are, they're not now going to do an IPO. We're talking about WeWork. Uh, Catherine, would you like to run us through what, when, what, how the wheels came off? <laughs> the wheels came off. Or well, perhaps they, they, were never, they were never actually properly Well, this is the on. thing with wheels. Where are, with, with WeWork, where are the wheels? Um, and the, the wheels are, are all over the place for them, unfortunately, at the moment. Um, so they insist that they are still going to do an IPO. Um, and they are able to insist that because they have to. Um, they've got a $6 billion loan resting on the back of uh, getting th at least $3 billion through through an IPO this year. So um, they stand to lose $6 billion if they don't sort their IPO out. So as you can imagine, they're quite motivated at this point. So I think we can expect to see some kind of action from them. Um, they've been doing all sorts of things in the past couple of weeks, restricting the power of their CEO, who's one of these... Um, Who's your fellow from Tesla um, who had a huge problem with people who, who dive and rescue children from caves? Um, name Mr. of Elon Musk. Musk that's Mr. the Musk, one. Yes. So the, the CEO here, Adam Neumanns, um, he often wears a woolly hat for presentations. Um, and the problems really started from there and don't seem to have got any better. And investors who are serious people who don't like people who turn up wearing hats um, have started to look at WeWork and think... Well, it would be nice if they made some money. And I don't think that's an unreasonable thing to think if you're looking to put really quite a significant stack of cash um, into a company. So the problem for WeWork is to prove that they are at some point going to make some money. Seems very simple. And once they find the solution to that, um, they'll be set. And so will the rest of capitalism. So uh, we all look forward to that deeply. <laughs> but um, in the meantime, of course, while WeWork is being publicly ripped apart, um, sharing and uh, shared workspace is huge in the hotel, becoming huger in the hotel sector. Oyo, who share um, an investor in SoftBank with WeWork, are busy getting into that. Um, and Accor, of course, get into that. Uh, Marriott, you'll recall, launched that um, large table for their relaunch Sheraton <laughs> brand, which has special space um, for putting your laptops in and plugs and stuff. And, uh, and a quite handy little point for putting um, mugs of tea on so you don't chuck it over your laptop which is an innovation, to be fair, and it was an architectural digest, so facts don't lie. Um, so yes, what will happen with WeWork? Presumably going to push this IPO through. Fun times. Leases. Yes. There's the old saying, um, which goes, it's pioneers that get arrows in their back and settlers get the land. Um, I'm slightly hesitant at using... Um, that phrase um, in a week when we've got Justin Trudeau appearing in my paper in all sorts of blackface get up um, <laughs> but um, the, 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 the basic moral of that is that perhaps sometimes it's best um, not to be first to market and it's better to wait until the market is proven and then come in and learn from the mistakes of the pioneers and execute better um, 
perhaps WeWork is a moral for this in terms of, you know, we've got this unicorn losing vast sums of cash and no real credible way of stopping losing those vast sums of cash. There's a blog that's written by uh, a finance professor at the Stern School of Business in New York University, Aswath Damodaran, and um, what he writes about um, with regard to WeWork, um, he says it's blurry business models and flaky earnings measures, and I think he's completely on the money. He also references the, 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 the whole thing around founders and this kind of founder worship issue mm-hmm. and what he talks about is a 3p test is it possible is it plausible and is it probable and he says simply being possible isn't a route to making money even being plausible isn't a route to being money what you've got to look at is is it probable um, this is meaningful investors and this requires counting only customers that you can reach today given your existing product or service offers um and i think he's precisely right here and this is probably the way that hoteliers who are entering into this space into the co-working space around the big buzz ought to think about it um who can we reach right now with our existing um customer base and i think you can enter the space and i think you can make money out of it and catherine's already listed a few of the more innovative types who are going out there doing at it and it it strikes me it it definitely is the best uh, policy is piggybacking this marketing hype that surrounds people like WeWork and um, just go at it in a sensible fashion that's how you're actually going to end up making money rather than losing money. Yes, well, I think WeWork's issue where where they differ with hotels is that hotels are where they're likely to triumph is they have all this dead space sitting around doing nothing, whereas WeWork has to go out there and take out expensive leases to find its own dead space, um, as, as its investors are finding. Absolutely. And I think you can look at the rise of other bits within the hotel industry. I mean, a good example of that is the budget hotels, which we talked about last week on the podcast, um, and where it was the land banks, which Forte had to roll out Travel Lodge and Whitbread had to roll out what initially was Travel Inn and then became Premier Inn. Um, those land banks gave them a huge bit of leverage which enabled them to become market leaders in the UK um, quite quickly. I think ateliers in the same way have a chance here as you say Catherine to get out there and get stuck into to exploiting um, these sort of dead zones. And it's worth noting the local village hotel where I sometimes go and open my laptop in their co-working space um, actually converted the co-working space from a bar um, so they obviously, they obviously worked out they were going to get make more money from us co-workers going in and uh, paying a monthly sub than from uh, the transient uh, visitors ordering up a few pints and a um, pie and chips. They've still got another area in the hotel where they can offer such uh, glories to to arrivals, but um, the co-working space is reasonably well populated. I don't know if it's making any money, money, but it's yeah. Well, I mean, busy. I used to use a, a co-working space in Brighton, which was often very similar to a bar after about three o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> I, I think that village um, leisure example is very good, actually, because you've got a, a, an exa- a brand which is doing something very innovative in quite unlikely spaces, I think, um, and how they've evolved, how KSL Capital have come in and evolved that brand and transformed it, I think, uh, is, is, is pretty impressive. And I think there's, um, there's going to be more of that sort of thing going on in our space. 
Now we're moving on to take a look at uh, where, the, where the business is coming from online or on the phone, uh, coming into hotels, uh, particularly bearing in mind uh, some recent research which suggests that the brand websites are holding their own against the uh, OTAs, uh, their frenemies. Um, Catherine, you've been casting your eye over the, uh, the, the facts and the opinions as they currently stand in this little battle. Uh, yes, so the facts and the opinions as they currently stand are that the branded websites are now the leading source of green light bookings for the first time. Um, and at the same time as they did that, of course, Marriott International announced that it would be using Expedia Group as its exclusive distributor of wholesale and proportional room rates. And so I think what we're seeing here is, once again, the, the frenemies becoming more frer than nimi and um, <clears throat> working together on uh, getting rid of the stuff they don't want to deal with and just focusing on the interesting things. So in Marriott's case, I think, looking at what it really can't be bothered with or has no appetite for, or has no expertise for, and handing it over to Expedia. And um, by focusing on what it is good at, driving direct, it appears, as ever. Mm, I think the, I'm, I'm the reality is slightly murkier. Yeah, I'm, I'm a bit more sceptical about some of those numbers. But I think th this piece where, they've, um, where Expedia is, is now going to be handling all of Marriott's wholesale rates I think it is quite a moment I think it is kind of signaling the outbreak of peace in terms of this OTA hotel brand company fight and I think both sides are settling in to what they actually do best and they're working out that you know they've got to work together as partners to to actually exploit the market the OTAs are coming up a against um, a situation now where their rate of growth is declining and that's a challenge for them and they've they've they've, they've realized actually we've got to get in there and and make friends again um, now Expedia has been white labeling white labeling Marriott vacation since late 2016 so they're already working quite closely with Marriott and this next you know clearly Marriott was being very cautious sensibly so in working out how this was going to um, pan out and it, it seems obviously to work quite well and now Expedia are going to be handled handling all of these wholesale rates and wholesale rates have been a huge problem for hoteliers they've been the biggest cause of a breakdown in rate parity rate integrity um, for for hoteliers and they're the source of anger with guests who've suddenly seen a room they're paying 200 pounds for available for 175 pounds on some obscure ota somewhere um this will enable Marriott to pretty much eliminate that happening um, and i think we're going to see more and more um, of the hotel brands look to cozy up with people who can handle this and deal with these wholesale rates just to eliminate that i mean it's never been a popular thing with hoteliers some of these wholesale rates and most hoteliers have been moving away from them because they are some of the lowest yielding rates out there um, and this is is pretty much i think going to signal the end of the the problem areas with um, wholesale rates and also enter a whole new phase up hopefully of cooperation between otas and and the big hotel brands i rather fear however that it's going to put more pressure on the mid-sized and the smaller hotel brand companies Right, now we're going to talk about double-deckers, and I'm not referring to the chewy chocolate bar, nor indeed the uh, iconic London omnibus, but um, dual, uh, dual hotels, two hotels on one site. Um, 
the Americans have been doing uh, dual uh, properties for a long time now and they're becoming much more popular here in Europe uh, indeed even Hyatt signed a dual branded property in Manchester last week uh, Catherine's been having a chat with the uh, raving fans for the dual branded property here in uh, in Europe uh, Cycas, um and uh, finding out a bit more about why why they're so attractive over to you Catherine uh, yes, well, you know, dual branded or double double deckering or however you want to put it um, is huge. Um, and of course, as Psychas pointed out to me, the, the Americans have been doing it for ages. Um, but now we've worked out we can do it as well. It's great. Um, so yes, so they, um, Psychas, of course, are brand agnostic. So this uh, adds an extra element of excitement um, to the process. They said they haven't worked on the same site with two different operators yet. Um, but they would consider it. So two different be. brands, do you mean, Catherine? I mean so two different, yes, brands. so two they're different, the global, yeah. yeah, they're the operators, and so two different giant global brand brands. families. So an, an Accor yes. and so an or yeah. yeah, exactly. or whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, um, so, yes, they haven't done that yet. But, but they they're saying it's possible, are they? They are saying it's possible, yes. Would they have to have, like, a sort of telephone, they, telephone they toyed with it. to go and run through to change to change their outfits? Yeah, so it's very, but it's, it's, would, you would think this is very tricky, but if it's just a franchise and you sh- and the staffing is the issue, isn't it, in this scenario, because um, you shared staff, shared back office, but if you're franchising, that should theoretically be fine because you control the staff and all this sort of thing. So, mm. hmm, can be done. I'd, <laughs> no, not yet, not yet, they said, not yet. But um, yes, and also looking to move higher, they do a lot of work with Marriott. Um, I stayed at their residence in Moxie in Amsterdam, which was great. Um, and Which to, bit? Were you in the residence in or the Moxie? I was in the residence in, but I did some drinking in the Moxie. Ooh, so yes, yes, because that was more my, you know, obviously it gives you access to things you wouldn't normally have in an apartment brand, which of course is the plan. Like a very loud bar and a, and a swimming pool, which had one of those things where it cre- where it's a, quite a small swimming pool, but it creates a current and you have to swim against it, which is. It's an interesting one, is it? Because uh, you know, I, I stay in Dubai and they've got uh, Novotel and Ibis co-branded, co-located, um, and um, in the in the Ibis office you've got smaller rooms and slightly. Uh, shabbier but the uh, you have this shared communal area and it's how much of that communal area do the, the cheaper end of the market the kind of places i stay at um do you have access to the posh bit and i guess that's going to be quite interesting how how they're going to do that but i think this whole thing speaks very much to what we're seeing within accommodation generally is just this blurring of lines um i mean we've had double deckers for some time we've had triple deckers uh, for some time, I believe there's even examples of quadruple deckers um, out there uh, for different brands in in um, one building. Um, but I think the interesting bit's going to come as we start seeing a little bit more flexibility um, with owners and particularly planners that allow. So we can have a bit of co-working here, a bit of co-living there, um, and, and and switching usage between this as and when sort of the market conditions dictate. I think that is going to enable um, property investors to maximise true potential and it's just a question of how quickly regulations can shift uh, to keep up with this i mean we're already seeing you know some issues in terms of regulation or huge amounts of issues in terms of regulation um, with regard to the emergence of residential now being put out on short lets mostly through airbnb but there 
there are other sharing platforms available um, and it, even in things such as um, um, service departments which is where SICAS had their origins um, there we often see some of those operators using uh, properties which are also on um, residential use classification for planners so I think I think we've we've you know, as regulations catch up with this, and hopefully we're going to see some enlightened um, approaches to this to allow flexibility and flexible use. And I think it, it, it's going to make it uh, uh, quite an interesting period as as these you know as student accommodation is also used as short term lets as. You know, it's the co-working piece is blended with co-living, which makes sense. And when you know you see some of these resi office development type things, but let's have a little bit more flexibility. And I think hoteliers are very well positioned to exploit this um, through, as we can dub it, the hotelization of the in- of of the real estate investment industry. And that's very much, I think, hoteliers are at the forefront of this. Thank you very much, Andrew. And on that note, I'm thinking now let's just go and get a chewy chocolate bar. Um, and we'll, for, for now, we'll say goodbye to you and speak to you again soon. Bye for now.